All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Yo, what's up? This is Fontigolo from Team Supreme. We are celebrating Black History Month at QLS and releasing new weekly interviews with some incredible guests from film and music. In the meantime, we've selected some special classic episodes as well, which we run on Mondays. This classic two-parter QLS is from September 2020, and it is with the incredible, my homie, my friend, Jamel Hill. Jamel is not only someone I call a friend, she's one of the most important voices in sports, where she always weaves in art, politics, and social issues, and we love her for it. In part one, Jamel joined Amir, Laia, Steve, and I to talk TV, movies, and life. Sometimes, these are the best discussions on QLS, when we just talking our shit. It's also a little time capsule back three and a half years ago. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to what I think is guaranteed to be a highly interesting episode of Questlove Supreme. Uh, you might as well consider this eavesdropping in on a conversation already in progress. Uh, just to give you guys a preface, we practically started this episode about five to six hours ago on the QLS chat when Laia has discovered the Fonte uh, Salmon and Smoothies. I would say Salmon, Salmon and Smoothies episode. <laughs> yes. Of our, of our esteemed guest uh, of our podcast, uh, of which what ensued is at least on my end, uh, an all-day research uh, excursion on the Bad Boy trilogy. And I'm talking about the uh, movie, not the label. Uh, which then led me to a Tyler Perry rabbit hole, which is old another episode. <laughs> anyway, give me, just give you guys a heads up. We might not even get to a real like Jamil Hill question until <laughs> no, like 46, to. Min- 46 minutes into the episode. Anyway, uh, if you're still listening by this point, you know me, you know Laia Fontigolo, Sugar Steve, shout out to only Bill, who's not here right now. Um, if he's, you only know now. Guest, <laughs> he's only Bill. He's, he's only Bill. <laughs> he might as well be only Bill. Uh, our guest has been a big uh, deal for over a decade. If you haven't caught up right now, 
uh, in the overpopulated toxic male atmosphere world of ESPN. She came to our attention <laughs> as a member of the beloved sports talk uh, show, His and Her, on ESPN2 with Michael Smith. What up, Mike? Uh, soon following being a staple on SportsCenter, as anchor. And uh, even as a non-sports guy, you hear me right now, Steve, am I doing okay? Even as a non-sports guy, I can attest that her and Mike had a, a rather run-DMC chemistry in their on-screen banter. Uh, and then 2016 came, and need I say more? Ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. please welcome to QLS uh, from the Atlantic and my current fave uh, podcast, Jamil Hill is Unbothered. Also, my other other bins, my other favorite join, which is uh, uh, Way Down the Hole, which is a, a wire recap show with Van Lathan, yes. uh, which is probably the only place where you hear black people uh, speak on the wire. I, I've only, no, I'm saying, anytime I hear about the wire being broken down, it's always by white people. Um, so much to say, ladies and gentlemen, I can't wait for this episation. Episation. This yeah, you just, just made a new word. You just made a new word. <laughs> yes, this episode. Uh, please welcome Jamil Hill to uh, yeah. uh, Thank you. Um, Hello, man. old friend. Hey, what up, old friend? Uh, <laughs> this is this is a great uh, moment for me to be on with with two musical legends, and um, and I'm glad you you provided me this space because uh, me and Tigolo can keep arguing about. <laughs> Dude, all we got to get. All up. We keep arguing it. I watched after after the that initial chat. I sat in my office all day watching. I recap Bad Boys Two. Still don't like it. What? No, I'm shocked. That, it was not good. I'm it was shocked not good. that Jet for shots. I'm shocked that's your favorite. Dog. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And here's the thing. This is what has me sort of not ruffled, but I see Laia's point. Laia's, are you still standing on that hill that? Bad Boys 1 was classic? I'm standing on the hill that nobody, we should let people know that Fonte had never seen part one and part two until as he's about to watch three. And I do not think that you should compare something that happened 15, 20 years ago to a current installation. That's what we agree on. And yes, okay. it was legendary. Yes, because of the time. Yes, I agree with that. But I can say that you were genuinely perplexed that Fonte and I didn't see Bad Boys 1 as classic. Well, let me be clear. I think it's I think Bad Boys One is classic, but as I was in the group chat, is it good? I think classic, right? Exactly, classic has more to do with time, place, era. Like, there's a lot of things that make something a classic. I didn't think it was a good movie, but it was a classic for what it stood for. That was like Will and Martin coming together. Like, it was what it stood for and what it represented made it a classic moment. I will that not I say it was a good you know? movie. You didn't watch it in its classic era. Nigga, I was there. I didn't have to see the shit. What you talking about? I saw the movie. I lived there. I saw what it was. I saw it's these two niggas on film. I know what it was. I was in the era. I was outside. I just went so to the movie it, theater. What I'm saying is, is that, Laia, are you saying that had Fonte been of age in 1994 and seen it on its first run that he would have thought Bad Boys 1 was a classic film. Yes. It's like a millennial watching Do the Right Thing on HBO. Nah, that's not true. Because I saw uh, my I showed my sons Do the Right Thing like a couple of ago. And they loved that shit. Hell yeah. yeah. 
Well, but you know what? It, it is certain movies that don't necessarily age well, even though that they're classics, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I saw Bad Boy when, you know, right in that time and space. And so I totally understand why it's a, a classic movie. But there's other shit that we have. It just don't age well. And, like, I think this about Scarface. I think Scarface is one of the most overrated movies I've ever seen. Like, that Facts. movie does not hold up. It's cheesy. It's corny. I'm shocked that you have... All these brilliant Damn, actors. It is definitely racist, right? So I'm shocked <laughs> right. you, you saw have... it 200 times, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> right. I you... watch it. Yeah, I watch it. Whatever it's on. I, I mean, I'm not going to turn from it. <laughs> but you have Al Pacino. You have F. Murray Abraham. Uh, you have all these wonderful actors in this movie that just doesn't hold up. It just looks. I mean, I've never been on that bandwagon that this movie was one of the greatest ever like i think to even put it in the same sentence as like a godfather godfather 2 is just like disgustingly bad like that's that just, shit ain't even in the same category as goodfellas to me or oh, casino hell no it, could, like, it, it can't fuck with there. none of that yeah, casino no goodfellas, none of that you, yeah, casino. you do understand why that film has sentimental meaning though right Scarface. how oh, do. often do we get to see someone stick it to the man Right. It's about it's a rags to riches story. About it's the Cuban. Somebody. It's the Cuban superfly. Yes, b- basically like that. And that's another you know movie what? that doesn't age that well. Ha- I have not seen Superfly yet. Is it worth? Oh, I'm glad you wait. The new one is worth checking out. Is worth if nothing. If no, I haven't seen. I haven't seen the original Superfly. The new one. I'm, I'm telling you, you you gonna want to choke somebody out on the new one. Like the new one, you gonna be like they really <laughs> I didn't see did. that one. The new one, man, they got, what's his name? Damn, I can't Trevor Jackson. I oh, think that's his yes, name. Oh, Trevor Jackson. Boy yeah. From, uh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. The from the Hazen movie. From oh, the Hazen right. movie. movie. Right. They got Trevor Jackson with a with a uh, a dope-ass Hawaiian silky. And it's just like, Superfly has advanced. <laughs> no, it's, it's crazy. Because Superfly has advanced from, you know how he used to get his money. This dude now is in Bitcoin. We like. Look, yeah, Harriet Tubman didn't point to the North Star for this motherfucker to be into Bitcoin. Like, that's the new wave. I'm like, it just, what are we doing? <laughs> he got a whole Bitcoin electronic operation. I was like, I'd be damned. Like, I just, I can't. Okay. They had to bring it. They had to bring it to the new era. Like the new era is, you Superfly know, Superfly and cryptocurrency don't go together. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree, but I mean, I, I salute them for trying to bring it to 2020. You know, a movie I watched that night. I was talking on the group chat that did not age well for me at all. Like Beverly Hills Cop. That shit is fucking copaganda, dude. Like I'm oh, looking totally at this shit, copaganda. and it's and it's you know, I mean, it's Eddie Murphy, and I mean, we love Eddie always. You know what I mean, but I'm just like, yo, this nigga is just a scammer that just goes around lying to people. <laughs> like every movie like that's all it is like he lying to get into this building and he's lying and i'm like yo this is nah this was not right i i am bound by that detroitness not to talk shit about that movie even though uh i understand what you're saying because if you in the movie he wore a t-shirt from mufford high school which is my high school where i went to went to school at oh wow yeah, because okay. uh, Jerry Bruckenheimer, uh, actually, he went to my high school as well. He's from Detroit, which is how the Lion's Jacket wound up on Axel Foley and the Muffer High School t-shirt. little trivia that uh, you can literally do nothing with, so just take it on. <laughs> hey, no, we, we, we live for uh, useless information on this show. We live for that. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that already today I've had enough research with that, I'm almost borderline afraid to ask Fonte his opinion. Uh, I I want to wait till she at least come on the show. Okay, <laughs> no, 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 no. I already know what you on uh oh, yeah. on Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. Oh, okay. I haven't watched it yet. All right. Yo, I really liked it, and I'm not. I, I loved I it. it. 
I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was. I was just like, all right, Same. let me just see what it is. Yo, I fuck with Lovecraft. I see where it go. You know what I mean? But they got me on the first episode. And now, and those are the hardest ones. The pilots is like the hardest episode. So oh, yeah. I'm fucking with it. Oh, I watched up. it in real time. And it is weird because we were like texting each other as it was happening. And mm-hmm. she was being like really quiet about it. And I'm talking about Journey. Journey Smollett. And yeah, like I, it, without spoiler alerting, it's, it's, I feel I trust that this will be excellent. I mean, the pilot is awesome. Yeah, I'll say oh, I yeah. like it so much. This will probably be the first time that I'm going to follow a television series in real time since Not The Wire. It. Yeah, I'm a guy that will let the entire thing go on so I can just have all the episodes at my disposal. That's what I'm doing with uh, I May Destroy You. That's what I'm oh, doing. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm that, that's I the next thing I need, to, I need to get on because I, I just hear too many great things about it. Yeah, everybody's saying it's 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 great. It's worth It's worth getting into. Or none of us have seen it yet. No, no. Uh, all the feedback I heard from it, from like my movies and TV homies that really, you know, they like, nah, they say it's really good. Can I just tell y'all, I mean, and I want to say to Jamel too, like Sundays, no offense, but black women are killing it. Like Lena Waithe, Misha Green, um, Katoy from P-Valley. Yes, say, like, are y'all on P-Valley? I what? still got to, I ain't watched that yet. Oh, I, 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 yeah, well, hit, I'm on P-Valley. Hit me to I'm that, not, hit me to that, hit me to that. Hit them, That's the strip club now. joint. Yeah, yeah, it's about the Mississippi. Word? Yeah, it's about a Mississippi strip club, and um, I, it's called P Valley, which you, you know, know what the P pussy. stands for. Yes, yeah, Pussy Valley. That's the name, <laughs> right? So, um, it's you know, wax shout season. Out. All right, <laughs> it is wax season. They, that's right. So, uh, women against patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, the, that's what I told my grandma I stood for. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a um it, it's something that you you don't see often. It's like the way that it's shot. Um, great strong characters. I mean, again, you know, somebody tells you it's a dra- it's a drama about a Mississippi strip club. You're like, shit, I'm in. Like, why would I not be in on that, right? <laughs> right, um, right, right. Written um by a wonderful writer that I've gotten a chance to know, Patrick Ian Polk, and also as you mentioned, Katori Hall. Like, it's 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 like that. Like me, me and the hubby, we uh three episodes in. I think it's been about six episodes, but we we really oh, okay. enjoyed. Uncle Clifford is my dog. That's all Uncle I'm gonna say. Clifford is I fucks everything. With Uncle Clifford. And you know, <laughs> it's interesting. I want to prepare people who haven't seen P Valley. Okay, this is a highly inclusive show where you'll see all kinds of sex, and yes. I love and Jamel. It's funny because they'll show Uncle Clifford, who is a. Let's not put yeah, a label well, on. No, him. I know what's the. I'm trying to think of what would be the best way. Like he's clearly gay. He's, he's gay. fluid or he's no, he's okay. not fluid. I think he, I mean he's gay. He's very gay, but yeah. he also wears beautiful wigs. Sometimes he may be dressed up from like Frida Kahlo and yeah. he runs the club. Oh, he's wow. gender <laughs> fluid. Thank you, babe. Okay. He is gender fluid, right? Yeah. I yeah, that's probably the best way to, to, to put yeah, it. He's definitely but gay, but he's gender yeah. fluid. Yeah, for sure. So they play with you a little bit because you'll see Uncle Clifford get his thing in, but you'll also they'll cut to like the stripper doing her thing too. They're trying to satisfy everybody. Yes. Well, it's something like every taste. Time out. Uh, Isaiah Washington's in this? Yes. Yeah, so that's the part. Wait, wow. I know. I know. That's the wow. part that kind of, you're like, hold up. Because I didn't know he was in this series until we got to the episode where he popped up because he's the mayor of this little little bitty town or whatever. And I was like, wow. oh, shit, is that? I mean, I, I hear your reaction, Quest, because I thought no, the same I'm thing. No, I'm just, I'm amazed that he got another shot. Like, <laughs> I know. 
I'm like, word, they let him back. Word up. Yeah. And then the fact that they let him back on what is clearly a black show is ironic in itself, considering everything out his mouth is so fucking anti-black that it's anti-black. Okay, so I haven't followed. I don't. I haven't followed Isaiah. What's his deal? What happened? Yo, man, he might as well join Ye. Yeah, Word, he, I mean, he, yeah, he 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 probably worse than Ye though, because no, like, what are you saying? Well, no, I mean, he's definitely um one. Of, he, I mean, he's a he's a MAGA supporter, like he's a he's a Trump dude, and it's just like, man, I don't know what happened to you. My heart so is he, broke. Yeah, so he is. I mean, he ain't got he okay on on the on the levels of what is it one to Terry Crews? He's not like quite <laughs> Terry <laughs> Crews yet, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, that they were definitely welcome at the Republican National Convention. We'll say that. Wow. I'm more disappointed in him. I would think he'd be more self-educated than Terry. So, mm. yeah, you would think. But uh, surprisingly, he isn't. Or not so surprisingly, he isn't. So, anyway, if you get yeah. it over that part of it, it's still a wonderfully done wonderfully series. Done. Worth your time. Absolutely. As You know, that's the thing about this pandemic. It's like you just realize, and not that I didn't know this before, but just how much content is out there. I mean, it is so almost yep, impossible so to keep up. Like, I still haven't seen little fires everywhere. Like, I'm still trying it's to. It's really good. I, everybody I says that. It's, my wife it's watched that. I ain't watched it though. Yeah. Yeah. She's so, in Washington and um. Uh, I started uh, the, the pilot, but I'm I'm gonna finish that. Yeah. I started so, the pilot. So I find myself uh feeling you know feeling like constantly behind, and yet, you know, there's still old favorites that I'm not gonna come up off the old favorites to to make room for the new stuff so i just kind of have to i have to budget my tv time better is what i'm saying <laughs> you know because like monday nights <laughs> is below deck mediterranean tuesday Girl, is million dollar can we listening talk about your episode now can we can we talk about oh, it now? oh yeah million talk about dollar listen. listen me and me and the boyfriend over here we're rather addicted uh it can be a new episode coming on or an old episode amir i don't know and steve i don't know if y'all are up on the below deck but yeah steve do you even watch tv i haven't seen any of the bad boys uh, <laughs> Way, man. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, right now I, I I don't watch like what's I'm watching Quantico right now. You ever see Quantico? That's not oh, even. Oh yeah, I remember it, but I never watched Wait, it. Quantico. What's his name's wife? Yeah, uh, Jonas uh, brother. Uh, what's her name? I don't know. I don't know the, their names, but it puts me to sleep real quick, man. That's the whole. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's why you need to get with Below Deck because Below Deck is awesome and amazing. It follows different crews depending on what part of the world they're in, and it's like a reality show based on the crew and their guests that come on for chartered, chartered, uh, chartered boat rides. And needless to say, one day. No, no, you got to say right. It's a charter yacht. Yeah, like, you can't you can't underboss me. Was on there. You're right. It's, it's yacht. It's yacht. And once one Saturday afternoon, to the delight of me and my my sweetie, we were like, "Yo, black people, yo, that's Jamel. Yo, look at Jamel. She getting it in. I got it in. So it in. I, I guess they give you the the bones of what happened is, as she said, below deck is a reality show. You know, they follow you. you they they put you in a location. It was Thailand. So this is, uh, this was a pre bachelorette party. Um, event. So me, five other my homegirls went. So it's six of us, six black women on a yacht in Thailand. Um, and you know, people like you know, you're in that environment where you're getting everything is catered to you. Um, uh, the great food, all the liquor you could possibly want. And so you're on this yacht for three days, and they film you. And really, the show is mostly about the crew that services the yacht. But of course, you know, guests like myself, we we get in on the entertainment. So bottom <laughs> line is, 
I was drunk as fuck for like literally three straight days. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened. In fact, so drunk that at one point um, we were having dinner one night and I just had to tap out. And I just like, <clears throat> I tried to whisper to my girl that I was tapping out. But of course, you know, I got a mic on me uh, and they show The camera is just showing me. It had just focused on me. And I am literally at this dinner table about to pass out in my food. At the I've been, itis, Okay. Yeah, no, it nah. wasn't the itis. It was the drunk itis. No, no, okay. she was drunk as fuck. I was drunk as fuck because we have been drinking since the moment we got up. Um, and, you know, because we all vacation, so we were, like, getting it in. But as for as much as they showed, I got to be honest, I'm thankful for all the shit they didn't show. They didn't I was show. like, oh, that's <laughs> you I was about like, oh, that. that's it? I was like, oh. Oh, okay. Like they didn't show when my girl fell off the jet ski, when I floated out to sea and they had to come get me. Like they didn't show none of that. And I was like, thank God. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. <laughs> Yo, so, so wait, two two below deck questions though. Like how many people are actually on that ship? Because they only highlight maybe like six of the cute crew, crew members. Right. And, and then I, I also wanted to ask you about that tip at the end. Cause that's I was like, oh, we was praying this all black women, please. Well, now you okay? So I and it's, the crew. And it's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot of money. I mean, the 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 crew. Um, there's a lot bigger crew than than what you see on the show. Mm -hmm. They of course focus on the deckhands. They also focus on the captain and the interior crew. But there's like a whole. There's like a bunch of engineers. Like you know, this is a this is a mega yacht. So they have to have like a, a really full staff. And so you you definitely see them. But all the drama that's going on with the crew, like I watched having watched the whole season. Now I understand some little things that I felt, but you don't necessarily see. Right, cause because you thought old girl was being rude to you, but you didn't know that she's just a bitch. Right, well, I knew she was just a bitch because I had watched okay. the, the previous seasons okay. of Below Deck. So I knew how she got down, but I understand the attitude I got when we got there. It wasn't a figment of my imagination because they had just had a, a big blow up in the last charter and like... Things were going left on that. But, of course, you know, they blew that up and they made that kind of an anchor of what the episode was about. But it really wasn't that bad. It's like we said that to her and, you know, she had her commentary, which I didn't know until I saw the episode that she called me all them names. Because I'm like, <laughs> believe me, when I tell you, had I known that, we might have had a different conversation then. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we, her and I were cool. I mean, the, the, the day that my episode aired on Bravo, her and I were texting that day. Like we still cool. Like it's no beef whatsoever. I think it was just like a misunderstanding that of course, not surprisingly that reality TV blew up the other part about yeah. the tip. So one of the big moments in the show is there's a tip reveal at the end. And this is where you figure out like, all right. Who really got some money up in yep. here? Oh, <laughs> Amir, you got to understand. It's like what? It's like seven people that got to be tipped out, right? Like seven to eight people. Yeah. So you mean tip like leaving money? Yes, like a tip. So th this yacht, you're getting the yacht. The way it works is this. You're getting the yacht at a very discounted rate. Okay. Not like what right. it normally would cost to be on a you super yacht or a mega yacht. So you're getting the yacht at a discounted rate. And you know that they fly you out there. Um, they put you up in a hotel the night before. Uh, in our case, we wanted to spend some time in Thailand. So me and my girls have been out there for a good four or five days before we even got to the charter. So we have been kicking it in Thailand, Thailand for a little bit. So anyway, you know watching the show what's considered a good tip and what's considered just an okay tip and what's considered a great tip. Anything below 20 grand is, is, not, is a shitty tip. Anything below 20, like if you're like, like when you should see their faces when they get like 15 or 16 or whatever, they just like, what? That's it? Because they're going wow. by what is the cost of what it, what it, what is the normal cost, what it is for the yeah. shot that you're getting discounted already. So my goal was like, we going 20 and up, you know, and then even the night before the show, what happens is that there's a, there's a base $15,000 tip built in. 
Girl, base, you better tell us truth. I love base it. Base $15,000 tip bit built in. So you know if somebody just gives 15 or they give 17, they really hated their service or they cheap as fuck. It's like That's one zero. of the two. Right. <laughs> right. Because like if they give you, if the starting point is 15 and the producers hit you the night before that um, you're leaving the charter and they say, would you like to leave an additional tip? Because they, you know, they bring the cash for you. So it's not right. like people don't just magically have like 20 grand in cash. Like they, you know, you've worked out that arrangement beforehand. So I knew minimum we were going to leave 20 grand. So that's what we left. Like we left 20 um, because we did really like the service and we thought we had a, a great time. And so as you see from the episode, they were very happy about our tip because they know what the base point is. And then for us mm-hmm. to kick in another five grand, there it is. Wait, can I ask? So you're saying that the whole premise of the show is how not hospitable, but how your tipping action is, that's the whole goal of the show. No, the like whole to- premise of the show is to get you and your friends, your homies, whatever on this yacht, <laughs> Let's give y'all go. all the alcohol that you want, all the food that you want. Cause it's a chef that, cause before you even step foot on the yacht, you are given the, the, what they call preference sheets. So you fill out the, the person who's the primary charter guest, the person who gets to determine Everything that is done there, in this case, it was me. It's like, okay, so let's say I hate ribs or I want, um, I only want uh, Chilean sea bass for dinner. Like you put that on this sheet. So they have all your preferences, what kind of snacks you want, what kind of liquor you want, like everything laid out. The point is to combine people who they think will be a little extra with a crew just trying to work hard to get their tip and then alcohol and see what happens. (laughs) Yo, right. I would have loved to been a fly in the room when this pitch was being made. <laughs> but it's brilliant, though. I mean, the, the show is like super successful. And, and three different versions. You know what? Wait, Steve, are are you getting any flashbacks about this this uh, story she's telling? Me and Steve are world famous. Like all throughout maybe two thousand five to two thousand nine, the 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 dynamics between Steve and I. If you don't know, uh, Jamil, Steve has been my recording engineer for the longest for like the D'Angelo stuff, the common stuff, the root stuff, like all. He's been my engineer. So we would go to restaurants and usually, you know, I would pay the bill. And I have a theory, like I'm one of those overcompensatory nouveau riche people that has to like overdo the tipping. Same. Because I, I, I have this I have this thing in my head about, well, first of all, like they have expectations like, oh, they're not going to tip or whatever. I've heard that before. But more than that, I just, if I like a restaurant, I don't want them tainting with my food. So I, I make sure I leave a good tip. <laughs> so one time Steve insisted on leaving a good tip or leaving, paying the bill and leaving a tip. And I let him do it. And then somewhere in the car, I said, wait a minute. I left my cell phone and snuck back in the restaurant just to see what he left. And... I didn't like it, so I like put more on top of it. And bam, <laughs> Steve was right behind me. I knew you didn't trust what I left. That's why I came back in here. Like literally, that's been our whole dynamic. Steve doesn't trust my not trusting him tipping. Like that is our <laughs> whole dynamic. That sounds like a loving friendship. <laughs> it does. <that's- laughs> and you use your stripper club standard for tipping. Okay, that's generally. What's the strip, what's the strip club standard? But at this point, I mean, in college, it was 20. So it got to be like 25 to 30 percent at this point. Right. So if you tip in 25 to 30 percent at the strip club, you got to do that. Every- There's different rules for cats like me. You got to 
Oh yeah, you I'm gotta like leave a lot. Over compensatory. Yeah. Yes, I leave. You know. I leave more than what the bill is worth. Yeah, just I mean, to... but but some of it too though is just that we know, especially as like this is this is black trauma. This is what I call black trauma. Because that's what I was, yes, yeah. This is black trauma because not only are you famous, but like even if you weren't famous, it's like. I think a lot of us feel like we got to compensate for the stereotype that we don't tip. Mm-hmm. And so and we I got to tip oh, well. Yeah. I got to tip well so that the black people that come after me get treated get well. Treated well. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's the Speaking same of shit. which, Laia, yeah, like one time we took James Poiser for his like 30th birthday to a rip club and they did not come to our table at all. You went to Delilah. Stop com- going to them white shrimp. Cl- mm. <laughs> well, what else is left? What am I going to go to? What Susquehanna? else is left? This is why you need to watch P Valley. Are you kidding me? What else is left besides the white? There was no vanity. Philadelphia. There was no no Philadelphia. Philly, there yeah. was no vanity. Whatever that name that vanity spot is. Vanity Grand or There was no vanity Grand in Philly. And when I asked a girl that worked there. I found out that Allen Iverson had basically ruined tipping in Philadelphia for like the entire city. Like anywhere that he frequents, he doesn't pay the bill, doesn't pay his tab, all that, oh, wow. that stuff. So they just assume that everyone is non-professional. Oh like yeah. <laughs> Back in the day in Philly, if you want an A out of paper something, you had to go to Fridays. Yeah, I was like, I heard Fridays was a spot. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so I'm yeah. curious. I'm curious of, of the of the panel here. What's the most money y'all ever tricked off in a strip club? In a strip club, money. I'm a um, good girl. Me? Probably it. <laughs> mine's probably. What you say, Steve? What Steve say? <laughs> Whatever Amir gives me to spend, I spend. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I over tipped when the situation he's talking about. I over tipped because I knew his mentality and I tip more than I ever tipped percentage wise on any bill. Right. But, it's but still then I had to over over tip. <laughs> Damn, they can't they had to come up that night. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. But t- oh, they, people they, see me they coming, they know what's up. Answer the question. All right, wait, wait finish what you were saying, Laius. or not Laia, Fonte, what were you saying? Oh, oh, we were talking about most ever spent. Um, I think for me, the thing about it, like I always treated strip clubs like a casino. So I just go in with a set amount, and when that amount is gone, I'm gone. So nickel slots. Yeah, for me, yeah, for me, it's probably like I think the most like when I was with the homies, like we be on tour, and like I think probably like two hundred dollars. Just oh my, the, what? Yeah, oh, like I'm not a strip club awesome. dude. That, that uh, is, I'm not. Yeah, I'm just. What that, ain't even, that ain't even making it missed. You like magic, you, that ain't even Magic City numbers. Man, I didn't get in bitches no promises. Shit. <laughs> yeah. I came here to enjoy, came here to enjoy myself. I'm just killing time before I had to go to a show. We used to go but in you Detroit. Some wings and a water? Like what? <laughs> no, in Detroit. In Detroit, downtown, because we would play at uh St. Andy's. And mm-hmm. we would play at, uh, we would go to, it was a spot used to be down. I don't even know if it's still there. I haven't it, been. It was a bazookies. Bazookies. Yes. Yep. I bet. We I, go to bazookies. Yep. God, and bazookies, it was, it was literally just a spot bazookies. where we would go, like, we go sound check. We go sound check. It's in Greek town. Yeah. We go sound check. And then we like, all right, we got, you know, two hours, two and a half hours. We don't want to go back to the hotel and just, cause if I go back to the hotel, I'm going to lay down and go to sleep and this is going to be all bad. So fuck it. Let's just go to bazookies. So me and the boys just go to bazookies and, you know, I'm we have our fun. <laughs> that's the name, of, just, it. Yeah, that's yeah. The name of the club. That's the name and of the club. And two hundred dollars later, Tigolo was two, headed to the show. All right, Big Daddy, what you, what you got up there, Miss Love? <laughs> Who me? 
Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So if I go to Uh a mainstream join, (laughs) and mainstream join is like a gentleman's club. I mean, you know, like if we're in Vegas or something and it's Uh, like that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, You're going to Spearmint Rhino, like that kind of place. Yeah. Yo, wait. I got to tell you about Spearmint Rhino. Dog. Their their crab fries are the best thing on Hold up, earth. Crab fries? <laughs> I know it's the wrong thing to say about a strip club. No, the, the food nah, be good. The right on the but yeah. one night after a show, we made a stop. The Spirit Rhino. They was you know like in in uh, whatever the Players Club where it was like oh the tour bus is pulling up the, the green light comes on mm-hmm. it's money time. We said like, no 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 no. We just want to order about twenty. <laughs> Crab fries, and they it's looked at us thing. like, "Huh? Yes, I I only went there for the crab fries. Uh, if it's a mainstream join, probably I'll stop at five five G's. He said I'll stop at five. <laughs> However, okay, back in two thousand and four, you better remember. 
I went to, because the thing is, is that you haven't lived until you experienced a prime Atlanta strip club. I agree. Now, okay. right now, more bang for the, the bang for my buck is a spot called Follies. Oh, yeah. Everybody oh, said yeah. they, has the, they Follies, have the yeah. best wings in Atlanta. Yeah, it's yep. it's Follies is is off the chain. There was a spot that I went to with Chris Robinson in like 2004. This is the first time I'm being introduced to the concept of make it rain. <laughs> and table number one is well-known, well-loved basketball player. Table number two is upstart Atlanta uh, rapper that's kind of a household name now. And then table number three was uh, some other sports figure that I think he's a boxer or whatever. And to watch t- to watch them and to watch Chris give commentary on the art of making it rain, like I didn't realize that the whole point of going to a strip club in Atlanta is to, and this is a spot that had a bank inside of the club. I didn't know there you could have a bank inside of a club. So to watch these people wheel out money barrels, like money, uh, whatever, like uh, they like order, can't afford college, but can afford tonight. Yes. <laughs> Yo, and I realized that the whole purpose of going to strip club isn't even to get a lap dance or any of those things. Like the women were a non-factor. It's about how long can you take this wad of cash and make it stay in the air? And there's a accounting clock. There's there's a <laughs> clock to the last dollar drops. And there's like world, people trying to break the record. I think Big Boy has the record. I think he made like one particular bill stay in the air for 17 seconds. So people are trying to break that record. I would watch this event in the Olympics. I just wanted to just throw <laughs> yeah, we can. I think we can replace curling with this right here. Oh, dude, curling can get the fuck. What, what was what was even crazier was that sixty dollars fell in the crest of my afro. My afro pick <laughs> in the crest. Wow. In the crest. Well, you know, I kept the back. I kept my afro pick in the back of my head. <laughs> so the dollars rolled down and it just like in a nook and cranny, like sat inside there. I swear to you. I was about to remove it so I could put it on the floor. I wasn't going to steal it. Yo, they was on me like, no! And they'll say, we'll take that. And they just took the, the money out of my afro. The, the strippers did. The strippers did. No, the, 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 the did. You're not oh. allowed to touch none of that money. Like, uh, you know how slippery, you know how slippery a Cheesecake Factory floor is? I can't <laughs> like deal with that. you right now. Because you know I'm telling the truth. You ever All been to the Cheesecake Factory? <laughs> And slip. Yes, I have. I don't know. Yes. We had carpet at the Gold Club. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm saying that that's how slippery the floor was because there was nothing but money on the floor. Oh. I, I didn't mm. get it. So the next time I went, I was like, well, I better represent. So the most I ever tricked was I was feeling myself that night. I, I brought 10 there. But I was also Ooh, with yeah. like, I was, oh. with, I was with 15 people. Oh, okay. You got to balance this out. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, I mean, for me, me and my homegirls, we look at the uh, strip club as liberation. Yeah. So when we go, you know, because we, one, the strip club has become a really good place for women to go because we know there are other, obviously, very naked women in there. Mm. We're unlikely to be bothered. We can hear good music and we can get good food. So 
it it checks the bingo cards if you really want just a night out with your girls and just unadulterated, pure, ignorant ass fun. And we wind up almost always bef- befriending all the strippers. Like yeah, we have the hot, you get yeah. the hottest booth. Like if you go there with a woman, trust me or women. Oh, wingmen like that. Nah, yeah, wingmen, yes. They're, they're yes. the greatest wingmen ever. We, yeah. Like, we will have the hottest booth. So um, I've had some times in the strip club. that, But what ruined me is one of the first times I really went to the strip club, I went with a professional athlete oh, and no. some of his friends. And mm. they, one of them handed me a stack of 10 Gs to make it rain, and they showed me how to make it rain. And I was like, why did y'all ever teach me how to do this? It's so <laughs> fun. And yes, it's, it's so liberating. Can, it's so liberating. I was like, I can just put this dollar in the crack of her ass? Oh, awesome. And she'll let you put in more places than he'll show oh, like him do it. Like, I have to be I like, like, hey, oh, hey. Not for nothing. Not right there. Yes, like no, they, the will, they will get yeah. aggressive with other women. So I... um. I want to say I probably, um, I probably have done maybe about three. I think you know, um, mm. and yeah, maybe a respectable three. But um, one of one of my girls has a bachelorette uh, uh, party. Oh, actually, no, as a birthday present. It was before I was even engaged. She got me a stripper gun, which. Oh my oh. god! Will you take a stripper gun into the strip club? <laughs> oh it's yes! Whole, How much money does that fit? Um, I think this would fit like. 300 bucks and like you just keep loading the guns. That's <laughs> what I need. Yes. They give me yes. that. Yes. I load about want, $300 you and when the bonus is out. You want to load it up multiple times. Just re- real quick, uh, the the best uh, the best strip club I've probably ever been to is a spot in Vegas. Um, it's called, it was then called the Palomino. Um, we used to call it just the Mino that one of my girls took me to that who lived in Vegas. But this was a place where men dance for women. And what I had, this was, I was, I was just about to ask you that. What yeah. is the draw of the male strip club mm. for women? Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, but this one was off the hood. So don't, I wouldn't even twist my face up. Okay. All right. Trust okay. me when I tell you. Okay. This one was off Long the socks on the, on the dangling. Long socks. No, nah, nah, it wasn't socks. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. But I have never seen this ever in life at a strip club. This dude put his man part in a hot dog bun and crumpled some chips over it. And I'd like it was both the blackest thing I'd ever seen and also the craziest thing I'd ever seen in a strip club. Yeah, so man. yeah, you put it in there. And I also realized that that's when one of those moments when I realized I was a little bit famous because they shouted my name out. The DJ did. And this is back when I was at ESPN. And I was like, and next, like all the dudes, I got, I had to turn away lap dances. I was like, okay, so new rule, like, they can't really know I'm here because this would right. be <laughs> this would be a whole thing. <laughs> and you know, with women, when we get a lap dance, with generally, you know, what they do, like they're obviously gyrating in front of you, but they also have little tricks of like where they're trying to um, if you're wearing a belt or something, they're trying to unbuckle the belt with their teeth, or they pull down their zipper, your zipper with your teeth. Like it's just the whole. Or well, they trying to flip you up and flip you they around. Flip. So I like that's that. another thing that I saw. I saw this dude. He sat this girl on his face, and then he flipped her around and never lost her position and on the face and i was just like i've just literally hold up i'm closing my eyes so i can imagine hold on yes she was she was on his face and Uh then he flipped her like he somersaulted her and Uh they popped right back up in the same position i was like i don't know how he did that without breaking her neck but somehow Uh somehow it happened i don't know (laughs) i got lost for a second (laughs) but it's all about the fantasy and and certainly i've had onyx in atlanta magic city you also you know to that to quest's point about like when you're at a strip club and other famous people are there you cannot get caught up trying to throw money with them oh uh, don't do that yeah don't even do it yeah don't be I me would, it's a competition right 
It well, it's just that you just are trying to sort of like, yeah, I'm, I can be fun at the strip club because the last time I went to Magic City, Ti was there, and Ti. Oh, you also- name names. He was one of the rappers. Okay, no, oh, yeah, yeah. oh no, let me like. I mean, you <laughs> I don't care about his shout outs at the strip club. Yeah, like he's all right. So he and I on the stage at Magic City, and he throwing money, and I'm like, my stack running low, and his just seems to keep growing larger. And I was like, I tell you, it's not gonna happen. This whole four one k ain't gonna wind up on this damn floor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I it just hit me. I'm old enough to remember a time when women really weren't allowed in the strip club unless they were with Man. a guy. Right. Because of and it's weird now because That's the nineties. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, well, the early two aughts. No, I'm sorry, the early aughts, like two thousands. Right. But now it's like the only people I know that still frequent strip clubs are women more, you know, I mean, the last five times I went, it was with more women than there were dudes. Because they, they realize that this is, I mean, to be honest, at least from what I've seen, when it's been a situation when there's, you know, men and women sort of equal in a strip club, the women spend a lot more money. Like the women, like the guys, or I say this, the women spend more money and you have to do less because, you know, That's a guy true. spent $10 and he just like, he want her to put his her leg behind her ear. Like he want to do all kind of stuff for like $10. Whereas women go there sometimes to just celebrate and appreciate other women. And so mm-hmm. you don't even have to do all that. Yeah. And you can wind up, you know, making making a, a men. I don't necessarily need, I've gotten um, lap dances from um, women. Like I got one at Onyx one time. I was like, ooh, I'm about to fall in love with a librarian. This is mm. um, unbelievable. <laughs> Philly, was, on, Philly Onyx? Philly Onyx? No, no, Atlanta Onyx. Atlanta, oh. Atlanta Onyx, yeah. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, what happened was that that they saw an expanding clientele base. As I said, the safe, the strip club is like the safest place for a woman because you you a lot of the drama that you deal with in the club, you really don't have to worry about. And take a place like in uh, Miami. Um, what's uh, what's the big Eda, strip? Oh, King of Diamonds, okay. right? King of Diamonds is a warehouse. Like that place is huge. It's basically a club, you know, um, and there are often more women in there than men. But we in there and we spending money. Is uh, it worth you- going there? I've been discouraged. I've asked a few Miami friends like, yo, let's go to King. And they're like, nah, you wouldn't like nah, it. It's, it's not it's not the spot like it used to be anymore. I think 11 is where a lot of people go. I think that's the 24 hour strip club. Um, I believe it's 11. Yeah. And so why do you want to come yeah. out on a strip club in the daytime? Oh, my God. Or do you? <laughs> I mean, like, well, I not at six in the that, morning. That's the worst feeling. Like once when I left the Vegas one, it was like seven in the morning. Mm. Yeah, that was the worst walk of shame ever, man. No club, yeah. no club, no club. Yeah, because that's when you're feeling like, what decisions have I made to lead me to this point right now, where I'm coming out the strip club at seven a.m. Yo, it's just hitting me that yes, we're 45 minutes into this podcast, not- and I haven't asked you one question yet. <laughs> I could have a whole podcast dedicated to strip clubs, rather. Because you want to get all up in, in this Mr. Mel Hill. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, all I mean, right. y'all free to ask so, me a question. <laughs> I, I know. It's, it's just sometimes we just have an episode where we just go rogue and just ask questions. Mm. Anyway, what was what were your what was your early childhood like in Detroit? You were born in Detroit, I assume. Correct. I was born okay. in Detroit. Um, as I like to say, uh, I'm from the real hood, not the rap hood. And, so you're, uh, you're from the east side, or no, I'm a west sider. I'm a little bit more refined than the east side. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> any any Detroiter that's ever been on the show 
I was told to take him to task because I heard that the east side of Detroit is the real hood side of Detroit and the west side is bourgeois. Now, to be honest, both sides, they we both can win the contest. I mean, to be honest, because this is many parts on the west side that look as bad, if not worse. Um, but we, but it's just a running joke in the city because east siders like they just think they so hard. Like all of them, all of them think they DMX from Belly, and it's like, come on, now, relax. <laughs> like let's let's you know let's be real. But no, I mean I I grew up. Um, you know Detroit is a, was an, is another chocolate city, so. Um, you know, grew up in, uh, you know, a black neighborhood raised by a single mother, um, single mother who also um, to some degree was co-parenting with my grandmother. So those were two really big influences, uh, you know, on my life. And, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, I was born in 75. So coming of age, at least from a music standpoint, you know, being right there at the cusp of when hip hop got going and also, you know, coming to age, I think, as a music fan in the mid 80s to uh to late 80s and in high school you know I was thinking about this because uh, my, my husband is actually five years younger than me and so we were just talking about music what was hot during our respective high school times and you know like my senior year like the chronic dropped and then my freshman year of college it was uh doggy style doggy so it's style, like, yeah. yeah it's like and also my senior year it was like um the chronic drop Sade's love deluxe dropped Jodeci's yes. Die of Your Mad Band dropped. It was like, you know, a really, really good a good time in music. Like those early 90s. And I, hell, the, the first uh, Roots album, I was, uh, I was actually working as a music reviewer. Um, I was an intern and I was reviewing music. The very first CD that landed on my desk was Do You Want More? So, wow. um, yeah, that was the very first one that landed there. And so that's when I started rocking with y'all. Because um, Quest knows this. Like, if I if I just had a little bit more money, if I just hit that Powerball, I swear to God, I would tour with the Roots. I would just be like, You don't want so, that life. You, told, would, you know what? You don't I told you this a thousand times I would do this. And he thinks I'm playing. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting to get that last number on that Powerball, Quest. And I'm so, here. <laughs> all right. So slight confession. Um, I first had my first real conversation with Jamil. Uh, at the NBA All-Star Game. Uh, Which one was wait, it? What year was, was it that? New Orleans? New Orleans? Yes, the one that yeah, we you played. You surprised uh, us. Yeah. Right. And the thing was, I, I mean, again, full, being totally transparent here, I'm not a sports guy. I'm the I'm the ESPN's on the gym, get all my information on Sports Center the first go-round, and then hang in the circle at work like, yeah, that was a great pitch. But then, like, someone like Steve will call me out, like, no, man, this is football we're talking about. Anyway, so my point was that my manager, my bandmates, when when you and Mike walked in, in the room when we were rehearsing, they was going ape shit, like, yo, oh, my God, they're here. We got to talk to them. We got to talk to them. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yo, man, it's going to be such a good look. We got to do it. And the one... I will I will go on any platform and any medium and talk my ass off for nine hours except for any – the amount of no's that I've given local Philadelphia affiliates or talk sports. Yo, can we get Quest Love on it? Like one time the Eagles wanted me to like sit in the booth like and, and do a Would've game with them. the longest game ever, even though you're yeah, on I was sport. like – Nah, nah, I'm not, I'm not being the laughing stock of nobody in the roots <laughs> and embarrass them. So I was trying to duck and dodge y'all the whole time because nothing is more kryptonite than me 
than having to weigh in on any opinion of sports when I'm not emotionally invested. Look at Steve laughing right now. Funny nah, part is I'm, I'm guessing way. that Mike and Jamel ain't even want to talk to you about sports. We didn't. We like, like don't care. <laughs> like we, you know, the, 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 the thing is though, but we run into what Quest said very often when we did ESPN is that there were people that we just like fuck with because we respected their talents. We have been rocking with them a long time. The roots were number one. Mm. And so because of that, we um we often would get turned down by people who like, yeah, but I don't really know about sports. Like, trust me, we don't want to hear your sports opinions at all. Like, we want to hear you. We talk listen to about, that shit all day. <laughs> yeah, we do. Like we want to talk about <laughs> right. what you're an expert in and why people love you. And on top of that, you know, no disrespect to, you know, entertainers and, and other celebrities. Most of their sports opinions is trash anyway. Like, Damn. we can tell y'all cas- we can oh. tell y'all casual fans. Like, we know. <laughs> like, we can tell. You know. That's like, fucked so- up because you can't say that about, you can't vice versa that because music is something that, you know, you grow up on, you you, you study on your own. So it's just, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it, but it's, it's, it's subjective though. Like, I, I mean, I yield to the trained ears because this is what y'all been doing y'all whole lives. And you, regardless of whatever is my music, musical know-how I can never know as much as you all ever so you have to come into it with that that automatic uh, respect but like we anytime we ever ask for y'all like we never wanted to talk about uh sports if anything we'd have been annoying and been like so in 1998 at that concert what you do like it just <laughs> no but that's the thing like y'all made me feel so comfortable like I was so panic stricken that oh my god they're gonna ask me about the Sixers and then I'll be like uh yeah I like Maurice Cheeks <laughs> no, we don't care about what you think about Wait. the Sixers. And <laughs> you know, I didn't want to be that guy. So no, no, it was it was all good. But it it was the same with um it was the same with Tigolo. It's like I told him that when mm-hmm. we first met, I was like, I could give a shit less about your sports opinions. Like I'm here because I, I have with none. You. Right? <laughs> I have. I don't watch none. I have no. I don't care I got at some. all. Well, wait. Can I? Well, this leads me back to my next question because I feel like now. Despite, despite the the trials and tribulations, the ups and downs of your lane, it sort of forced you in a position where you have transcended sports. Whereas I would have strictly thought of you as, oh, ESPN anchor, you know, Jamel Hill. Now I mean, you're just, I mean, you're damn near a, late a, night a TV world. host. You're yeah, yeah, a everything. pop culture critic. You're a world leader as far as I'm concerned. And that's like one of the many feathers in your cap. But like people now look to you for some sort of some intelligent civil civil discourse about Mm -hmm. just what's going on in the world, which actually I'll I'll say that probably the question I've been asking the most of, of guests on the show in the last year is how exhausting is it now that. You know, like, do you want it to be a place where whatever your version of shut up and dribble is? Like, if you just want to talk about uh, this college team and this particular, you know, player and that sort of thing, whereas now you you have to represent everything. You have to be everything. Where we are right now, particularly with sports, where you have athletes who are uh, who have who are growing into their own sense of power and voice. 
which is where they always should have been, but at, at various uh, various decades and periods, they're discouraged from doing this. Mm. And it got to a point, and I think Colin Kaepernick was really the one who kind of opened this door for this generation, if you will. Uh, a combination mm. of him speaking out and, of course, LeBron James. Anytime you have somebody... Uh, in, of LeBron's stature, who is arguably the best athlete in the world, speaking out about racial and social uh, injustice, it gives everyone else, all the other black athletes, permission to do the same. That they see, like, okay, if this guy has, you know, all these financial deals, if he's this beloved and he's still speaking out, then what excuse do I have? So between him and Colin as being the leaders of this generation of athletes, um, and now with the moment that we're in in this country, that this idea hits the show title for uh, the show we, uh, me and Carrie Champion have coming out on Vice uh, on August 19th. Th- this whole idea of stick to sports is dead. It should have never been a conversation to begin with because, you know, you look back on history and sports has often been ahead of society in a lot of issues. I mean, Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball in 1947. I mean, the Civil Rights Act, uh, Act passed in the mid-60s that desegregated America. So you are looking at a lot of moments like that in sports where because sports is one of the few things that we still do together. I mean, we don't worship together. We eat with the same people. Uh, you know, America is still very much a segregated society, except when it comes to sports, which is why they have this unique pathway and opportunity to get people to listen to broader issues. So, no, I, I am. I'm glad that these conversations are taking place because, frankly, what's harder is when I was on Sports Center, and the, the country was continuing to fall apart, uh, and especially post twenty sixteen. You know how hard it was some days to be anchoring Sports Center, and the world is on fire. Like on a day like what happened with Philando Castile to mm-hmm. anchor. You know, I mean, I, we were on his and hers then to do the show that day. So we just incorporated it in the show. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to pretend that you give a fuck about whether or not the Patriots win the AFC East when you have black bodies in the street. Right. So. It's really the opposite where I'm glad that in sports I can be this full black person and talk about, you know, the games and stuff that I love in in cohesion. That's something that you just said. Be, be this full black person. I just need everybody to take a moment because usually we are not allowed to be a full black person out loud. Correct. I'm just saying. I, yeah. I no, I mean, it's hard. Like, I mean, really, you the it's so few of us that get in, in any situation where we can be our full black selves at work. And so, <laughs> can I ask the first time that you were whatever the proverbial being called in the principal's office? <laughs> how dark is that moment where you're, you know, obviously trying to climb up a, a, a ladder of a career. And, you know, there's uh, that moment where you might stop the, stop the bag or, you know, you could get blackballed. Like in the beginning, I think now you're pretty much Teflon. I'm still black dog. Exactly. No, I think I think it's a whole I black think, woman. I think you will be clapped at at least three times a year. However, I, I also think that you're you're in the Teflon zone now. Okay, I can but weather it. At the beginning, like when, when was the first time that you <laughs> rocked that boat? And what was the feeling of, like, did your mom call you like, girl, what'd you do that for? Or whatever. 
Well, I mean, the first the first time I got into trouble, and it was trouble that was totally self inflicted. It was some dumb shit that I did. Was uh, this was in two thousand and eight, and I was at ESPN. Uh, you know, I, I came to ESPN not as uh, on air talent. I came there as a writer, so I was writing for ESPN.com covering sports, and I was covering the Lakers Celtics NBA Finals, and. I was just writing a column, an off-day column, because the game was like the next day. So this is something that just was being posted in between. And when I grew up, uh, you know, in Detroit, we're talking about the height of the bad boys. Oh, when God. I was coming at age as a, as a sports fan. Mm. Right. Um, so right. I hated the Boston Celtics. Mm. Hated I'm them. from Philly. Yeah. yeah right. so we hate know. them, too. You hate them, right? So Because yes. they stood in our way. Um, you know, when Bird sold the ball, I think that was in the 88 conference finals, man. I thought I thought my life was destroyed and the Pistons wound up losing <laughs> that series. I couldn't stand the motherfuckers. I could I hated the Celtics. So once Rondo and KG and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce were doing their thing as they were in 2008 when I wrote this column, you saw a difference in how the Celtics were perceived because they was a black ass team, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. black people were rocking with the Celtics, which uh, was abhorrent for me to see in many respects because of the way <laughs> I grew up, right? Um, you know, and you understand if you're a black Bostonian, of course, but like outside of Boston, people, yeah. black people really fucking with this team, especially black people in Detroit, which I was like, okay, I taste some vomit in my mouth. Like, what are we doing? So <laughs> I wrote this column about like how even though these guys are good guys and they're great basketball players, like it was just a funny column about how we, all the reasons we can never be Celtics fans. One of the things I said in the column was that if rooting for Celtics is like saying Hitler is a victim, right? Oh yeah. There right. it is. So yeah. yeah, that didn't go over too well. It was just so dumb. <laughs> what was that ass part? whooping like? What, like <laughs> what's the intricacies of that ass whooping? So, I mean, look, it, it was, was before it was, cancel culture though. That so. doesn't matter. She's, there's yeah, always cancel culture when it comes to that community. Man, listen, yeah. it was fire and brimstone. It's yes. like the co- the column was only up for a couple hours, and when I tell you, uh, and to this day, a lot of Boston people and fans do not fuck with me because of this in 08. and so they 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 took the line out the column, but it had already been up for an hour, a, a few hours. It went viral back as, as much as you could go viral then. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's reporting on this. And even at the Celtics games, people were, because uh, it was a Celtics home game, like that next night, they were holding up picket signs, basically saying I wasn't shit. Um, a, a Boston radio station <laughs> got a hold of my home number. And let me tell you that the not calling was non-stops. I mean, I've been cussed out. I didn't. I had to. I didn't answer the. Uh, I, yeah, I was like, you picked phone. up the phone. I, I stopped after like the first two. Okay, uh, good. First two calls, and luckily it was my business line. So it's like in my house, I had my own office. I had a business line in there, and that was the one they kept calling. And so they called me everything but a child of God, and then some. And at work, I thought I was gonna get get fired over that. Um, you know, I got suspended for a week with pay. <laughs> and wow. when you get sent to the penalty box you know that that's something on your record. So if anything happens next, then you might be They're going to go back to that. Yeah, Correct. They're going to go back to that incident and say, oh, but you got a track record. Here's what it is. And so I was thankful that that happened in 2008 versus, say, 2017, which right. brings me to my more recent suspension was over the Donald Trump controversy. And, mm. you know, that one, it was, it was a lot different, um, mostly because... I felt like I was on the right side of history. You were. Obviously, all he does is, you is pr- prove me right ever since, and I appreciate y'all <laughs> saying that. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those times, and I feel like we get this opportunity maybe a couple times in our career or just in our lives, period, 
where had I lost my job, I'd have been okay. And I don't mean like, I don't mean to, to belittle or diminish all the things and the, the sweat equity I had put into being at ESPN. I've been there at that point, 12 years. It's just that some things you have to be able to live with yourself. And I wasn't going to apologize to the president, which they knew off rip. Um, the only thing I felt sort of bad for, because, you know, Mike and I are trying to anchor Sports Center at that time, is that even though he supported me a thousand percent, you know, I put him in a very bad position just from the standpoint of I get suspended. He's got to man the ship while I'm gone. And, you know, he doesn't want to be there and certainly look like he doesn't support me. So it doesn't support you. Right. right yeah. Which he did wholeheartedly. I mean, um, because, uh, you know, for a few days after into my suspension, he didn't anchor the show because he just refused. And if it would have been up to him, he would have just been completely off the whole time that I was suspended. So um, it was just all these things that were happening and, you know, being called out by the White House and all that. And I, I could give less than a fuck about the Trump supporters, um, but they allowed vocal ignorant ass group, a lot of them. And mm-hmm. so then it's a, a level of worrying about my personal safety, which I never have really had to worry about before. But after that incident, you know, it it, it really put a, a, a whole ass grenade in my life. I mean, it did. But that's not to say that the shrapnel was all bad. Um, yeah. But it is to say that it did blow it up for the moment. So when you said that about the spaces that I'm known in now, that incident good or bad is what allowed me to transcend or at least to, to be considered in some other circles. Cause suddenly, you know, they put me in a political bucket and, and you were highly yeah. supported. I, I yeah. was watching the support during that time and the community had Joe back. Yeah. Like, I mean, they did like black people, a big reason why I wasn't fired at that point. I, I think I know it was because the, the, the high level of support that I had in the community and not just from, uh, people at the grassroots level, but you know, you know, Colin Kaepernick was, I think, the first person who tweeted, the first celebrity or that ilk who tweeted mm-hmm. his support of me. And then you had D Wade and uh, the Gabrielle. world was watching. Yeah, everybody was watching, and so they really wrapped their arms around me. And ESPN seeing that, LeBron James as well seeing that, they said, okay, we, you know, after they didn't suspend me immediately after the Trump comments because of that, because they knew they were going to have a bigger problem on their hand because mm-hmm. y'all was riding for me. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I say all that to say is that when you go through those um, moments, um, and I tell younger people this too, especially as they're starting their career, regardless if you're at ESPN or if you're at a, a, a station in a small town, regardless of the career even as well, you got to know who you are before you go in the door. And if you don't know who you are before you go in there, that will get you into more trouble than anything else. If you know who you are, you know what you won't accept and you know what your boundary is. There's a lot of thousand things a lot of us will let slide as we try to make our way in whatever profession that we're in. There gonna come two or three moments where you're going to have to be, you're just going to have to be like, I ain't the one, you know. I was going to ask you about that. I was like, because you make it sound real easy, but we know that's like a maturation process. Oh, totally. It's not like... And sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes you look at ways where you didn't speak up and you have to live with that. And but it teaches you the next time that pops up, like, you know what? I didn't before. But see, now now y'all got the wrong one. And so um, society didn't flip me. I used to talk real loud a lot and then I just got to quiet it down because so many people told me to shut the fuck up. You too black. You too this and you too that. So now it's like, is it is it okay now? (laughs) always too much for somebody that's the thing is that that's the the constant black existence is that 
we could do nothing and be too much for people. Our existence is too much for people. Just yeah, so, just existing. Period. Just existing. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we can. Um, the only people or the only thing that we can do is, is is really be ourselves. But you're right. It takes years, and it takes growth and leverage. The other thing too that certainly, I mean, let's just be real. Is like at that point in my time, in my in my career at ESPN, I had been able to make some bags, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I knew that if we had to come to a decision where I wasn't going to be there anymore, that that wasn't going to come without a check. So it's like, you know, and I felt like I was going to be insulated financially regardless. And even if I wasn't as far as ESPN, even if I didn't walk away with, uh, with a check that it was, uh, you know, there would be interest in me to where I could make more money. So it wasn't a situation where I thought that there was going to be, I mean, I'm sure there was going to be some networks that wouldn't have messed with me. Uh, uh, don't get me wrong, but I would have been able to make a living. Right. So, and ABJ um, was still like, she the shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was still all right. And all I, but what it did teach me though, is something that um, w- we learn, you know, at, at various points or sometimes it takes us a long time to learn is mm-hmm. that, any relationship you have with an employer is conditional. It's a completely conditional mm. relationship, 100%. and you need to you need to treat it as such. Mm. And, and HR is not your fucking friend. No, not your friend ever <laughs> at all. Ever, ever. <laughs> this is a conditional relationship, which is which should give you and empower you more to be true to yourself. And you know, despite all the the relationships I built at ESPN, despite all the time I've been there and felt like, uh, you know, I did my job quite capably, if not better than that. <laughs> the truth is, is that when the president came after me, they didn't say shit. And that was a very important lesson for me to learn about, you but know, they didn't you, protect you. They didn't. I mean, it's one thing. I mean, and, and it's, it's a cold thing, too, because in hmm. journalism, you know, I mean, you, you check the black in, woman. What a concept. Yeah, I know. I mean, in journalism, <laughs> especially, you know, I, I worked for newspapers before I got to ESPN. And there was always just an understood code. Like when you go after City Hall or City Hall comes after you, you got to stand with your people because part of what makes democracy work is a free press. You have to have a free functioning press. Mm-hmm. People that are in the president's position have to know you cannot attack citizens and you cannot attack members of the press because. That's not how our democracy works. You know, mm-hmm. the whole thing about, you know, being a journalist is that you're supposed to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Ooh. And so that's why there has to be an understood code in media that when City Hall comes after you, you protect your people. Now, yeah. however ESPN wants to deal with me eternally is another matter. But when the president decided to put my name in his mouth or in his tweet is when I expected ESPN to say something and say, all right, hold yeah. up. Now, if she going to be a problem, she our problem. She ain't your fucking problem. She ain't your problem, yeah. Right, Facts. and that didn't happen. And honestly, that's the most disappointed I've ever been in working there because that's not the way that goes. I've been in situations in newspapers and seen how people have st- stood by their people. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, and even the NFL, as raggedy as they are, the moment he called them sons of bitches, what happened? They all yeah. tightened up. That's true. That's what you're supposed to do. So I was talking to my man the other day and based on watching what the MLB and MLB, the NFL and the NBA are doing, does it seem like good karma that everything is working out right for the N- NBA, but the NFL and the MLB, when it comes to this fucking COVID, when it comes fuck. to ju- like, they are like, is it just me? I mean, meanwhile, the NBA got Black Lives Matter all on the, <laughs> on the thing. They safe in their bubble. It's yeah. like, 
But well, it, 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 but what is it? It does teach you something about the value of leadership. And the, the thing Man. is, um, you have Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, but you also have the de facto commissioner in LeBron James. LeBron James, and, <laughs> right? He's the de facto commissioner. Right? Yes. So you you have this, and you also have a black woman who's the head of the players' union, Michelle Roberts, and the three of them collectively have exhibited such amazing leadership, particularly during COVID. I mean, not only are they in the bubble and no NBA t- uh, players have tested positive um, since they've been in the bubble, they also are testing out saliva tests for COVID because they spot, they they have funded these tests and they, the, they're going to use the players as guinea pigs because these are saliva tests that you would get in minutes, the results in minutes. Because mm-hmm. that's part of the issue with the testing now is like people are having to wait 17, 14 days just to get a result. You can get exposed again by that time. Yeah, exactly. Three times. Right. Or, or, yeah, or you think about the number of people you may expose because you don't know if you got it, right? Mm-hmm. So they are at the forefront I mean, who would have thought in 2020? I mean, it's been a strange year because we got Taylor Swift way more woke than Kanye. Um, who wow. Have, wow. Who Don't have, do that perspective. Wow. That was, that was, but wow. it's true, though. It's true, though. Like, Taylor Swift out here leading black people to freedom, not Kanye. Yeah, no, don't wait. Stop. Uh, wait, huh? Mm. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Now, when I saw Kim Kardashian talk about free and C murder, I was Duh, just like, yo, Duh, what the fuck is the bingo going card. on? What, what happened on the bingo <laughs> That was card, not on my card. Like, Wait, say what? And if she able to get him free, look, I'm just saying. He's just trying black, to stay in because her husband fucking up. But whatever, go ahead. Black people don't fall for it. Even That's if she I'm gets saying. C murder, out, don't fall for it, black people. Right. Like, don't <laughs> let this be like, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. Like, no, no. Until she give us our asses back and our hair and everything else. <laughs> I'm... But it's not so much about her. Is that uh, one thing that we need to understand? Like the, yes. those acts, individual acts are great. Giving back to the community, great. Charity does not fix structural racism. Doesn't fix it. 
right? Because you get see murder out, but what about? And I don't know if y'all watched uh uh the, the No, no Limit, Limit Chronicles. Come Dude. on, now, come on. Right, Every night, watch it, like watching it's on that. BET. Yes, on BT. Yep, watching that and seeing. I mean, I I knew that Louisiana had a racist criminal justice system, much like most. Uh, states yeah. in this country, they on another level. They the gold it's a standard. Yeah. It's a whole nother level. They, the, they the gold standard of racism and seeing see murderous case, but also the other dudes Mac. from Nolan. Yeah, Mac, Mac. Mm -hmm. what happened to him? You like, how is this possible in America? So Kim Kardashian freeing see murder isn't going to address that, right. is mm -hmm. what I'm saying. And so that's not to to belittle what it would mean for see murder to be out of jail, but like, yeah, like you said, like I would have never in a million years been like, so uh, Kim Kardashian is gonna lead see murder to freedom. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> right. I'm I mean, surprised she, she knows who he is. Might as well hit him with Mia for all of that. What's up with Mia? He's still in there, ain't he? Yeah, yeah, he I mean, is still in. Yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a, a a really crazy year. But at any rate, I, I I guess to get back to your original question is that who would have thought that? Um, mm -hmm. And again. It's what I was saying about sports sometimes leading the way and leading in ways society can't. That the most competent, cohesive um, response to COVID nineteen has been the NBA. Has been the far, NBA by far. All right. So now, now I feel all off key. Going back to another sports question <laughs> in your childhood, what made you? Did you initially? When did you develop this passion for sports? Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious at anyone who really commits to something that they they themselves aren't involved in, you know, like it's, it's possible to be a fan of music and participate in it. But for a lot of people, their knowledge of sports, just as spectators is amazing to me. First of all, are you an all around sports person or like, do you have the same passion for golf and no, bowling that you do? <laughs> uh, well, I do love to bowl. I am a, I'm a hell of a bowler. Okay. Y'all want some? Y'all come get some. Straight up. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Got my own ball Open shoes. free. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I'm handing out ass whoopers on the lane. So just you, let you, me know. <laughs> you're talking a lot for a person okay. that has a hometown with only one movie theater in it, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what? We got a lot of bowling alleys because we're because a winner. Like you need to have winner. I'm about to say yeah. Yeah, you need to have activity. So people, a lot of people from Detroit, Michigan, period, can bowl. Like that was our thing. Um. But uh, to answer your question is, you know, I, I would ask you the same about music. I'm sure there's a time where you don't even remember not loving music. Right. And so. Right. I don't. I, there was a time I don't remember not loving sports. It wasn't. I don't recall being introduced to sports. I just recall from the beginning. I love sports. I love playing were, sports. You said you grew up with your mom and your grandma, Right. So. Yeah, I mean, my mother, uh, she was, uh, I mean, she's, uh, she was, she's been married before. Um, she just didn't marry my bio biological father. And so, gotcha. um, but um, as I like to mess with her, but it's true, though, it's all facts. My first stepfather. We <laughs> <laughs> all got one. It's all right. Yeah, my first stepfather uh, was somebody who was also into sports. And, you know, um, I, I was the neighborhood tomboy, right? So I, I was out there playing you know, uh, uh, a football and, um, you know, uh, playing basketball and freeze tag and, 
um, you know, everything, uh, uh, two, um, not, not, we didn't call it two step. What was it? I'll, I'll think of what we used to call it, but I was, uh, mother, not mother, may I, um, no, not mother, may I, mother may I, but like, yeah, oh yeah. Kickball, all of that. So I was always out like kind of roughhousing with the boys. I mean, it was sort of frustrating my mother, not that she wanted me necessarily to be a girly girl. She'd just be like, why are you always playing with the boys? It's so rough. And, uh, so that was, that was always me. And what did your folks do? So uh, my mother, um, a bit of a jack of all trades. I mean, she's like worked at the post office. She's um, she had her own cleaning service. Uh, by trade, though, she was a medical laboratory technician. And both my parents uh, are recovering drug addicts. So my dad, he is uh, a, well, he retired as I should say a clinical uh, drug therapist. So, oh. um, so he does like counseling and that kind of thing. Of, of is this your stepdad? Is your biological dad? My biological father. My stepfather. Gotcha. Um, uh, the first one um, was like a, a some kind of computer engineer, and my current stepfather. Your mama uh, gonna fight you. I, look, I, I, I'm just telling it the facts. It is what it I am, is. Right. I'm making no judgment. I'm making no judgment on this one. This is life. public record, people. Like, I can is. look this up if I wanted to. Right? Thank you. You can look this up and you would know. She she just on number two. I mean, hell, my grandma got the three of them. So, I mean, but uh, but uh, but my second stepfather, he retired from the auto industry. Because, you, know, you know, Detroit is an yeah, auto factory town. So, he worked at the plant for many years. But, no, nah, I mean, it, it's like sports always came natural in terms of both playing and watching it. And, um you know, it, it was odd because I knew I'm I'm very fortunate is that I knew I wanted to be a sports journalist when I was around ninth or tenth grade. Uh, and I was one of those people who never really deviated from that. You know, usually you switch careers four or five times. And it's not like I knew any sports journalist per se. But the thing is, because of where technology was during that time, in order for you to keep up with your sports teams, you had to read the newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I had to read the sports sections to keep up, you know, with the Tigers uh, and the Pistons and, and everybody else. And that is what introduced me to newspapers. So when I got to high school, I worked for my high school newspaper. Uh, I got an apprenticeship at the local paper. Then, and also in high school, I started answering phones in the sports department of this same newspaper. And the rest, I went on from there. I, I majored in journalism. I've only done this. Like, I don't, I'm not even equipped to do shit else. Like, the only other job that I had, <laughs> it's true. I'm like, I'm not equipped to do shit else. The only other jobs that I've had outside of journalism was I delivered phone books during a uh, uh, when, I know that's how I'm, I'm 7,000 years old. I was like, I delivered phone books to earn some extra money for spring break. And um, Do they still make phone books? Dog, I'm I, old. Like this, this is like the, this is the late nineties. Like they were still making phone books and yeah, trust were. me, yeah. them okay. shits was so heavy. And I, I got to say your arm game must be crazy. Oh my God. I got paid like 70 cent per phone book delivered. Like it was, oh God. it was fucked Whoa. up. Way more than that. Yeah, that shit was labor. And that's what I knew. I was like, physical laborer and me will never get along. Like, it's just not happening. So, that ain't it. That ain't it. So, I, um, yeah, I had internships in college. I even interned at the, the Philadelphia Inquirer. I interned there. So, so you did um, time in Philly? I did. I've lived in Philly. Yep. No wonder you heard of the roots. I, I refuse to believe it. I looked at it. I was like, no. <laughs> I, but, no. But, but one of my internships, quest, no, like no bullshit. It was uh, 1994, I think. I was an intern at the Free Press, which Detroit Free Press, which is the local paper in Detroit. 
and they assigned me to the features desk. Um, and the music critic at the time uh, did not fuck with R&B and hip hop at all. So he said, you can wow. have all the R&B and hip hop. Wow. I'm going to stick to this Bruce Springsteen over here. And it was all good <laughs> because, you know, Aaliyah's album dropped that year. It was The Roots. It right. was like so many different artists that dropped that year and my cd collection was banging after that summer Trust yeah because you get all the promo all the joints, promos joints. Yes. It was like it was i used to get promos another. when i worked in the uh for our college newspaper so See i mean I'm this saying? was the, the campus echo at central and i would get promos Did you ever get, get on hard times oh. and sell them that's what i used to do i'd sell them <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can sell I, them I, yeah, I, just, I sell the ones i don't want or oh, i should say this was 1995 my bag um but like yeah, so that summer that uh i was interning at the free press uh, the reporters went on strike and the free press is also was at the time owned by the same people who owned the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is how I got to Philly. Cause they sent me to Philly. One of my mm. girls was already working at the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I didn't even live in Philly proper. I lived in McDade. <laughs> McDade Boulevard. Damn. Yeah. I lived in McDade, man. I had to catch a bus and a, and a bus and a train to get to the Philadelphia Inquirer downtown. Wow. Mm-mm, hold up. We need more time with Jamel Hill, and therefore you'll get it. So this was part one. Stay tuned for part two of our interview with Jamel Hill on Questlove Supreme next Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. It just gets better. I know. It's so good. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm to front door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.